you're listening to High Temperature Times, and it's a new year to follow through on your resolution to use only the best refractory in the industry. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. While Yins were opening Christmas presents and emptying bottle after bottle of the bubbly goodness for New Year's, we were busy brainstorming a whole year of great new topics to talk about on HTT. We've laid out top tier episodes ranging from application technology, refractory fundamentals, new products and technologies, and some really cool stuff in between. This month, we're going to be chatting with our resident expert bricklayer, Dino Biondello, about mortars. You know, that stuff that holds those highly engineered fired refractory products together. But is it more than that? Let's find out. But before we get into that, let's dip into our technical marketing inbox. As always, if you've got a question for the podcast, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com and use the subject line podcast to be featured on the show. This month's question hails from the motherland, asked by Todd Nichols. He asked, sometimes my brick are more tan, while other times they're more grayish. It's the same brick product, but different colors. What's up with that? And are they still good? Well, first off, that's two questions. Normally I'd charge double, but I still have some of that Christmas spirit squirreled away, so I'll let it slide. Anyways, aluminum ceramics are fickle beasts, and they are crazy sensitive to discoloration. Just a small fleck of rust makes its way through the air and lands on a brick during firing, and you'll get a brown spot. It's always crazy to me that a parts per million amount of dopant can change the color of your brick. A lot of it comes down to oxygen. Fun fact, for electrical wires, they'll use a titania pigment in the plastic wrapping that makes it white. They can write on that wrapping by hitting it with a laser because the energy from the laser will knock off a couple electrons on that oxygen and change the color of it to black. That's all it took, changing the energy level of the oxygen, and it goes from white to black. And it's not too far different with alumina. If you took the chemistry of your different colored brick, you would see your tan brick and your gray brick are identical because most possible discolorants can still have an effect while being under the detection limit of the equipment measuring your chemistry, which is like 0.01%. I've got another great story about how little it takes to change the color of a ceramic. When working with a 99.8% alumina material, really high alumina, it came out of the kiln a dull yellow, where it should normally be a bright white. The reason for the difference was likely due to the atmospheric makeup during the burn cycle, like maybe too much natural gas or something like that. But while the piece was perfectly fine to ship, we stuck it outside in the cold winter sunlight for an afternoon, and the sun brought it back to its typical white glory. That's all it took to change the color of the piece. Now, I'm not saying that you can stick your gray brick in the sun and it'll turn tan, but I am saying that you can't always trust the color of your brick to be important. Whether it be the full brick color or brown or red or pink spots, these discolorations are the effect of almost non-existent dopants in the brick. It will perform identically to any other brick you've got, and we've got the receipts to show for it. Thanks for the question, Todd, and for giving me the opportunity to tell some fun stories. Right on. Now, on to the main show. We've got Dino Biondello here with us talking about mortars. Welcome, Dino. Hello. So you you were with us a few months back talking about bricks and bricklaying in general, which was awesome, as usual. Have you been up to anything good since then? Yes, I've been, been preparing for a busy start of the year. Have have a lot of projects on the on the books. Um, some of them were, were postponed due to COVID, but uh, going to be doing a lot of traveling in the U.S. and abroad. So remind us when you're when you're on these jobs, what are you doing? Basically, um, I'm the eyes and and ears for Harbison Walker. Make sure that our products are handled properly, installed properly, um, application of mortars used properly. Um, follow the the you know the blueprints. Um, naturally, there are some circumstances where we have to do field adjustments according to what we have 
that variates from naturally the, the drawing itself, because, you know, we're working on vessels most of the time that are old have been relying many a time. So, um, but other than that, uh, you know, I'm there for installation support for our products. Very important stuff. Yes. So we're here to talk about mortars in general. Would you say the mortar is as important as the brick that it's bonding? Absolutely. HWI has something like 70 mortars available for something like 350 brands of brick. And uh, I'd say, you I mean, you certainly have a lot of experience to draw on in the refractory industry. So I feel like I can ask you this. Has that ratio improved in your time in the industry? Or is there a long history of placing importance in matching the chemistry of the mortar to the chemistry of the brick? I feel it's improved over the years. I know in, in, in my career, I've seen it improve quite a bit. Um, as far as HWI's mortars, I can't speak for our, our competitors, but I mean, our, our mortars, I feel they're constantly, you know, being able to go up to tech center and work with those people and see what they do and ask a lot of questions. They're constantly trying to improve what I feel is, you know, very good already. But I mean, you know, I get to try those things when I'm up there tinkering around at the tech center, which is, it's really good for me. So I can pass that information along to, you know, to, to our CIs and, and other contractors. Let's, let's talk about those 70 mortars, right? We got three basic types of mortars. You got air set mortars, heat set mortars, and phosphate bonded mortars. Uh, I'll, I'll lay out the definition so that you don't have to, uh, you know, air set mortars will air dry to form a hard set bond at room temperature and gain strength at temperatures as low as like 230 Fahrenheit, while heat set mortars will stay relatively pliable until it sees temperatures above 2000 Fahrenheit, where those particles in the mortar will fuse. Uh, and that allows those bricks to shift and settle in before they get locked into place. Um, phosphate bottom mortars are kind of halfway in between, but they're often grouped with the heat setting mortars. Uh, but they see their strength forming around 600 Fahrenheit when the phosphoric acid in the, in the mortar reacts with the oxides. So, Dino, uh, from an installation standpoint, where do you see yourself choosing one type of mortar over another? You know, usually I prefer the heat set mortars or the phosphate bonded mortars. The air set mortars, I mean, you don't have any chance for any kind of correction. Our, our SAR set uh, mortar in particular, it's a good mortar. But, you know, those are used, in my experience, in a lot of uh, applications with, uh, with IFBs, with insulating fire brick. But I would prefer the, the, the heat set and the phosphon. And, you know, I, I'll bet a lot of that is probably also up to the specifications and the, the original equipment manufacturing's design. Am I right in saying that? Do you, do you get that choice? Yes, absolutely. You don't deviate from, from, what, from what the spec is. Yeah, but here's a delineation of mortar that maybe I'll bet is often more up to the installer, and that's the consistency. So you might see on our data sheets that there are a lot of different ways to mix up mortars, right? Whether you're dipping, buttering, or slap troweling, there's a consistency that you probably aim for. Wet mortars are typically supplied in troweling consistency and can be watered down to make it thinner, or you can leave it, leave the bucket open and possibly make it a little bit thicker. I will say now, and I'm sure Dina will agree with me here, do not dump the liquid off the top of the bucket to make it thicker. Um, maybe we can get into that a little bit later. Uh, but, you know, getting back on point, the dry mortars will tell you how much water to add to get your desired consistency. So same question again for you, Dino. Where do you prefer these different consistencies of mortars? I, I myself personally am partial to trial mortar. So what we refer to as butter. Um, but that's not always good in every application because if you have 
Uh, I've been on jobs where we had 140 bricklayers. They all lay brick different. So in that instance, and it was a big job and there was, you know, there was a, a target date that had to be met. So there they opted to take the mortar that was sent wet, water it down and make it like a soup or a dip mortar. It's quicker and it's very consistent because the, the joints stay pretty much uniform and it's the same if, if one guy mixes it or a group of guys at the mixing station, it's always done the same. It stays consistent and the job goes a lot quicker and a lot smoother. But preferably, I like I like uh, trial mortar. You know, put it on with a with a with a mason's trial. A, a real bricklayer knows how to use a brick trial, and that's and to me, that's the best application. Let's talk about it for a second. Like bricklaying is a very large industry with very different types of materials. A, a, a bricklayer building a house versus a bricklayer building a furnace. You trowel differently, right? Correct. Do you want to do you want to lay out the important concepts of troweling for refractory? Yes. Troweling for refactory, if you're using butter or a nice, easily applied mortar, there's basically three steps to putting mortar on a brick. You get your mortar on your trowel. If you have too much, you just tap it on, on your mud pan or your bucket. And you go lengthwise at the edge of a nine-inch brick, down the length. Then on the short end, you hit it there, and then you take your trowel and you drag it up to the other end of the, of the brick. And the brick's mortared properly. I've seen guys apply mortar, and you would think they were icing a cake. And that's <laughs> just because they're inexperienced on using a trowel. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy method, and it just takes a little bit of time to get used to putting it on like that. Um, that's, I mean, guys make it harder than what it is. They really do. And if you apply the mortar that way, you're consistent. You don't have any heavy spots. You don't have any bare spots. I mean, it's, it's a very smooth, you know, three motions. One, two, and then drag it up the whole length of the brick, and the whole bed joint is covered. Now, if the brick requires the side joint, then you take turn the brick in your hand, and you do the same thing on the side joint and the head joint. And the, and the mortar can be put on evenly. Okay. So getting back into the, the different delineations of types of mortars, the, the other one that, uh, that comes up is, is some mortars come in a bucket and other mortars come in a bag, wet versus dry mortar. In, in your opinion, is one better than the other? I prefer the wet. Um, but as you touched earlier, just a few minutes ago, so many times I've been on a job and a guy will open up We'll say Cerset, for instance. There's a purplish-looking liquid on the top. The first thing they do is dump it off. I say, guys, what are you doing? Then they want to add water to it. You don't do that. <laughs> you mix it up, and you whip it all up and mix that. If it wasn't important, it wouldn't be in there. You know What it is, I don't know, but I know it's supposed to be there, and you don't dump it off. You know, but It's if, the magic juice. Yes, and if you have... If you have mortar in bags, that's good too. It's a little bit more time consuming, but you have to have the same personnel at your mixing station and they have to, they have to work with, you know, adjacent shifts. Everybody has to mix it the same. Nobody does their own thing and becomes a bench chemist. Oh, let's try this. Let's try that. I've seen guys get mortar that came in bags. They mixed it and they got it too wet. Oh, then they open up another bag. And dump some in and start whipping it up. I mean, it's, it's just, it's crazy. But I, I've always preferred wet mortar. Sometimes it's not 
that's not feasible because some mortars have a very short shelf life. Um, one in particular, it was a gold color mortar we used in, um, up in northern, uh, actually it was on the other side of Syracuse. We opened up the buckets of mortar. They, they, had been, they had been at the plant. They were inside. It was warm. But the mortar had been at the plant for about four months. Well, more than half of it was, they were weights. <laughs> it was hardened. It does have a shelf life. So in instances where the materials are sent to the, to the job and they do have a shelf life, wet mortar, then I would recommend bag. But I've always preferred wet mortar over bag due to the wet mortar is always consistent. It is. You know, very seldom have I ever found that one was really dry once it was whipped up and the other one was very loose or wet. There, our mortars are pretty consistent. So here, here's a cool one I learned about recently. And, and as, as an application specialist in foundries and power, I don't come across this very often. But in the glass industry, there's a whole slew of refractory chemistry going on. So a single job can be using things like zirconia, silica, AZS, or alumina all in the same job. And each one, each one of those chemistries has a mortar to match because, you know, you got to match your chemistry. Um, in the bucket, these chemistries all look like gray mud, right? But if you mix and match, you're going to have a bad time. So, I mean, if you were to mix a, a silica mortar with an alumina, then suddenly you're going to get a reaction going on. And if you mix a, a zirconia with an AZS, you're going to get a reaction going on. So you do not want to do that. So to stop that from happening, the mortars have colors that have been intentionally added. So if you, if you buy a silica mortar, it'll have a blue hue, whereas zircon, a zircon mortar will have a yellow tint and AZS mortars appear orange. Um, all those colors will burn off at high temperature, but it's important to stop people from grabbing the wrong bucket of mortar and look at a wall that's suddenly blue and be, and be buttering brick with an orange mortar and having that unwanted chemical interaction between the brick and the mortar. So, you know, I believe you've done some work in, in the glass industry. Have you ever had some experience with these type of mortars? Yes, yes, many, many times. We had pink, like a pinkish color, blue, a golden color, and I believe that was for zir zir zircon, and then we had the orange. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if, if your laborer hands you a bucket of mud and, and you looked at it and said, wait a minute, this, we're not using this here. I understood years ago that, you know, that that's put in there for identification purposes, which is very important because you're right, they're all gray. They're all like a grayish color. So, you know, no one can tell, well, this is zircon, oh, this is silica, or this is alumina. It's impossible to tell. Yeah. Then naturally, when they're fired, they all become the same color. I'm curious, though, like, like it would be easy if you're looking at a half-finished wall and you see that, that blue tint on the brick to say, okay, this is the mortar I'm going to use. Is, is it challenging to start the job? Because you got to make sure you have four different pa uh, pallets of mortar to which one to grab well, so where area you're going to do? Yeah, usually a glass tank work, it goes in a sequence. So it's, it doesn't get confused that often. But where, where it gets tricky is when you're working three different areas at once, you have different bricklayers using different mortars. But in the beginning of the job, it's not, so, it's not, that, it's not that difficult to keep them apart. You know, it's right. really hard to get them confused because they only have available the mortar that's to be used first. It's whenever you have three different areas going on or even up to four, where there's different mortars used in each one. Yeah, I guess it's a, it's a long-term job, so they're not going to have every material there at the same time. Exactly. All right, so we've, we've parsed through the myriad of options available when it comes to mortars. Let's, let's dip into your experience a little bit more. 
I'm sure it's a lot better to learn this in person, but can you tell me a little bit about the process for applying mortar in a real application? Like take me to a job site. Okay. If, if we're using, if we're using dip mortar, we'll start off with that because that's, you know, I, unfortunately I see that more and more and that's just due to the lack of experience in handling a brick trowel. You know, so it keeps it, again, as I stated earlier, it keeps it consistent. It's really hard to get a big joint with dip mortar. So process to applying mortar on a dip application is if, if it requires mortar on the side joint, the head joint, which is the end, and the bed joint, which is the bottom, it's real easy. You take and tilt the brick sideways, hit the side joint, turn it up, hit the head joint, and then grab it with your fingers near the top and dip the bottom and there's the bed joint. And when you lay the brick, you slide it in place, move it around. Many guys still to this day, they will not, they'll just set the brick and be done. That's not how you lay a brick. You're supposed to distribute the mortar. If for some reason there's a heavy spot or there's a, a small pebble or something, you can feel it. And then you take the brick off, clean it and redip it. But that's, that's the process for dip mortar. So with, with trial mortar, whether you're using a uh, heat set or a FOSS bond, some of the FOSS bonds are a little bit stiffer, but they're all easy to use. And again, as I said, it's three simple steps. You get your mortar on your trial, and this, this will come, it'll, it'll, it'll come with experience. But you go down the side. So if you have the brick laying flat in your hand, you'll go down the long end, nine inches, with your trowel and you'll like scrape it. Then on the bottom, you scrape it again. Then you take your trowel and you drag all that mortar with the face of your trowel, not the bottom, and it distributes the mortar. Then when you lay it also, you slide it and work it around in place, settle it, tap it if it needs tapped, you know, clean the mud off that's hanging, but, and, and go on to the next brick. So, I mean, one, one important note that I, I, I do know for all the zero bricks that I've laid is the, the joint thickness. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. We, I mean, I don't, I don't accept anything over three millimeters max. Everybody says, well, how can you do that? Well, it's, it's easy to do, you know, because mortar joints in refactory, it's, it's not a cure-all. The mortar is to help bond the brick and also to take care of small imperfections. When I say small, I'm talking an eighth inch or less. Which conveniently is the spec, right? For, for exactly. like refractory exactly. corners I, I and edges. It wouldn't have gotten yes. you in the first place if it was over an eighth of an inch. Yes. So, and, and what are some common mistakes in mortaring that, that you've seen people, especially new in the industry do? Over mortar, joints way thick. Uh, double buttering a brick. In other words, What's they put that? mud on it and put mud on it again. Or bricklayers that know how to do it, it's it's acceptable, but we call it picture framing. So basically, when your brick's mortared, they'll take some mortar on the edge of their trowel and then make an outline all the way around the brick. It's got like a little buildup of mortar all the way around it. Well, when you lay that brick, if it's not slid and settled into place then you have a huge void underneath the brick because at high center or the, the bottom is voided because all your edges are built up and the brick's not 
100% the bed joints not touching the brick under it. So picture framing is one of the biggest, it's one of my biggest complaints. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm sure I could sit here all day learning more from you and, but you know, we got a schedule to keep. Um, I will just ask you one more question though. Okay. Patching mortars. Uh, I, you know, I guess they're really mortars in name only, but you know, they come in a bucket most of the time and you know, have you ever used them? You got any tips about how to get the best out of them? Yes, I've used Green Patch 421. It's a 53% alumina wet air set patching mortar. And I believe, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe it's applicable up to a half of an inch. So this was used. I went to up Poland. To, up, it is up to two inches. You can use green. Up to two inches. I'm yeah. sorry. Up to two inches. So, I mean, that's, that's a lot. And, and this mortar performs very well. I mean, basically, you can use it sort of to parge the surface. When I say parge, um, like a foundation on a house. What's underground is parged, coated with tar. Well, the patching mortar can be used in that same manner. Um, one failure analysis I did, it was a roaster, brand new vessel, brand new install. And it was our KX99 brick. And the installation and the conical was terrible. And when they were heating up the unit, they weren't even up to operating temperature yet. They got about halfway up and brick pinch spalled everywhere. They lost up to a half, some areas, three quarters of an inch of brick. And I went and I looked at it and it was installation um, related failure. And they said, well, how can we fix this? And the first, my, my first comment was, this is a brand new vessel. Tear it out and do it over. Oh, they about had a heart attack. <laughs> Um, but they bought Green Patch 421 from us, and that vessel, that was in 2015. That vessel is still in operation with no major issues. It's a solid few years. Yes, but they were lucky because this this unit had never been put into service, so the surface was clean. You know, that's that's something that's very important. If your surface prep isn't done, that patch mortar is not going to, it will not stick. At, you know, the surface has to be free of any loose debris, any kind of slag, any kind of buildup. Um, you know, a lot of times the preparation takes longer than it does to apply the patching mortar. All right. Excellent. Thank you, Dino. Uh, this, is the, this is the real reason why we produce this podcast, right? There's so much knowledge and experience in the refractory industry and finding opportunities to pass that knowledge along is crucial to ensuring that people get the best out of their refractory insulation. Who knew that mortars were so much more than the stuff between your bricks? I hope you learned something about mortars and brick insulation practices here. I know I sure did. If you have, as usual, if you have any questions about mortar materials or anything else mentioned in the show, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. And while you're at it, start the new year with a fresh podcast subscription to catch all the new episodes of HTT. But for real though, thanks for listening.